0: Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name's Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant at Boldside, where I help leaders build a standout team culture. Just want to say up front, if your team needs to hit reset on their culture, or you've got a few challenges that you're navigating and you want some help in the HR space, DM me. Let's chat. All right. On today's episode, we're talking about how we learn and grow at work. Over my career, I've always loved learning about this idea of growth mindset and how we can be continually learning and growing and challenging ourselves. But when we're time poor, it can be such a difficult thing to achieve and it can be hard to kind of stay in that learning zone. So today I've called in an absolute pro to help us understand how we learn at work. Steph Clark is joining us today on the show. She runs a learning and development business called 28 Thursdays, and she's been helping businesses learn for the past 15 years. Previously, she's a senior manager at EY, leading learning and development and creating programs that help teams develop, grow and work better together. You're going to love Steph. She's inquisitive, she's playful, she's curious and she's so bloody smart. Her business is leading the way in preparing workplaces to learn in a future full of unknowns and uncertainties and she wants to reimagine this idea of learning at work. That's enough for me, let's get into it.
1: Hey Steph, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks Shelley, thanks for inviting me. I've been waiting for my invite for months and months, so I was very, very excited to be here.
0: I know we've been talking about it on LinkedIn for ages, and I'm like, Steph, 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 we need you to come on the show. And then like, <laughs> finally we're here because you've you've been doing so much cool stuff, and so I was like, I just need to talk to you because your work in the learning and development space is so bloody brilliant can you just tell for our listeners I'd love to know like your rapid fire day job what do you do
1: Oh, uh, what do I do? Well, some days I like lay on the floor <laughs> most of the day. and <laughs> a bit of one of those days yesterday. I ran a workshop in the morning and then I came home and literally just laid on the floor for a while. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, so what day job? I mean, how can I even describe? There's no real typical day, which is what I love. And I think I'd be very sad if I had a day job where every day looked the same. So most of my days, maybe a typical week, maybe that's for maybe a better starting point. So typical week, I'll be facilitating usually at least a day. Or so I think. Between I was just running my numbers this morning, and this quarter, so really since the end of January to the end of March, done 54 hours of facilitation across uh, virtual and in person, leaning more towards the in person at the moment, which is 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 quite fun. Uh, so facilitation generally working with teams on their kind of their learning approach. And a lot of the work I'm doing right now is a a bit of a mix between learning design. So actually thinking and not just necessarily program or course design, although there's a little bit of that, it's actually an approach or a curriculum view of what should we be including in our professional development curriculum or approach for our people in order to Actually, meet what we're saying we would meet from an employee experience perspective, from an employee value proposition. Uh, and a lot of the conversations that I'm having at the moment are starting with this problem of we're promising these things, we're delivering none of these things. (laughs) And and that's causing some pain and suffering and people are actually now leaving as a result of that discrepancy. So organizations are then having a conversation with me around it, right? What can we do? Uh, And what can we do from a kind of rethinking, reimagining, redesign, but also what can we do from what can we do right now in terms of, of bridging that gap and also bridging the gap between what learning people experience outside of work and the experience they're getting inside of work and sadly at the moment that that delta seems to be getting bigger and bigger and has done over the last 3 years as learning outside of work has just taken a huge trajectory towards better and more engaging and more creative etc and learning inside of work has really stalled in a lot of places
0: yeah that is really interesting i'm just thinking about some of my own learning experiences at work and how often you can – okay, like I remember one particular workshop that I did um, as an employee in a workplace and it was a half-day session and someone just walked through slides and talked at us for four hours mm-hmm. and I just sat there thinking, I'm so bored, I'm so bored, when's lunch, when's lunch, how long till lunch or how long to the next break – and I remember thinking, I'm not learning anything. This is really, really dull and boring and, and not engaging at all. I want to dig into this idea of how do we learn as adults? Because anyone listening to this podcast is a learner. They're people mm-hmm. who want to grow, who want to learn. But sometimes the opportunities we have at work are like the one I describe where it's like, oh my gosh, I have to sit here for four hours and get talked out for that long What is it, Steph? How do we actually learn as adults?
1: Well, I mean, there's all sorts of neuroscience and uh, approaches of adult learning, which I am not a complete expert in, so I'm not gonna kind of go deep into into that kind of part, but really as the the core part of adult learning is relevance. And for people to be like, yep, I know why I'm here, and I know how I'm gonna be using this information or this experience or this uh, inspiration or whatever it is that they are getting from that learning experience. So that's and I think if we can't even do that as a baseline, we've, we've you've already failed because if it's not relevant to people, if they can't see how they can apply this almost immediately afterwards uh, that you know after going through whatever it is that they, you're going through, then we've already got a problem. One of the other things is uh, certainly now, probably more than a few years ago is this piece on on the delivery method because again like organizations a lot of the time are still defaulting to courses. And there is absolutely a time and a place for a course. I you know, facilitate a lot of, of those types of sessions or you know something where someone it's happening there and then, either virtually or in, in human form in 3D. But that's not the only method of learning. I think this is where there's still a lot of hesitancy around using some different mediums, other than maybe some video gets gets a video gets a bit of a look in, but I think we're Again, we're not using some of the things that are being used really well in learning outside of work. And podcasts are a very good example of this. So, what would you say
0: is the types of learning experiences that you're finding are working really well at the moment?
1: Mm. The ones that are working seem to be working quite well at the moment. And I will kind of caveat with the at the moment because I think the at the moment feels and what's working is quite different to maybe three or four years ago certainly to sort 2019 and before the thing that feels like it's working really well at the moment is where people are hearing stuff they've not heard before and it's there's an element of surprise to what we're covering and just two sessions I've run in the last couple of weeks so it's a bit of probably recency kind of bias there, but they've gone down really well, have been sessions where I've been including a lot of futures thinking type content in and been talking about the future of work or and or the future of learning. You know, there's been some AI stuff in there. There's been some what's happening kind of from a social, technological, uh, economic kind of perspective as well. And being able to share with people like, hey, here's some stuff that's going on and people being like, oh, shit, <laughs> I had no idea. And but then then it's not just a you know lecture or anything like that. It's those are little nuggets of parcels of information little gifts of information that go into between activities and conversations and things as well so a session i ran i ran yes just yesterday uh, at the time of recording this was a how do we use futures thinking for change and actually thinking about change and uh, change is not something I do a lot of work in, in terms of, you know, kind of those pure kind of changed practitioners. But this was an organization or a team, sorry, that have been through a lot of change in the last six months. So I thought, well, the way we get better at change is by practicing change. And that's a huge part of futures thinking. So I've been using futures thinking quite a lot in sessions recently for similar reasons. So to either get better at change or for people to be starting to broaden their imaginations, curiosity around what's going on in the world at the moment, and getting them out of just this very insular, either thinking, thought patterns, or just existence, because just, they're just in their organizations. They just That's all they're surrounded with and by, and they're not necessarily looking up and out of what's happening at the moment as well. So surprise and interest and curiosity and some old shit moments I think are always healthy in a learning experience.
0: (laughs) I love that so much. I love the idea of like the, oh shit, like surprise moments where you kind of shock people and, and it's that becomes memorable. And it's like this learning moment that you take with you as opposed to the slide deck that someone reads off and you're like, I'm so bombarded with information as it is. There's no way I'm taking all this on. I want to ask about this idea of curiosity because I'm really interested to know your thoughts on how you spark your own curiosity. And I want to kind of uh, lead into this question. It's personal. I'm sure our listeners can relate, but I've noticed in myself, Steph, lately, and I'm 34 this year, I think. can't remember. But one of the things I've been finding is that I – as I've gotten older, I've stagnated and I've – I used to be really like into all this new stuff. i would always be learning new ways of doing things and I'd be really challenging myself in certain ways. But as I've got older, I feel like I've started to play it safe more in my life. I have found I've noticed – and I do – I'm quite self-reflective, so I've found I've noticed in myself – a resistance to learn new things. So like when all the chat GPT stuff came out and everyone was going nuts about that, I was like, oh, not another new thing I have to learn. Like I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I don't want to learn a new thing. Like I just want to chill for a bit. Like, can I chill for a sec? And so for anyone out there who feels fatigued of growth, how can they reignite that curiosity and build that learning muscle? And yeah, I'm asking for a friend, aka me. <laughs>
1: Welcome to our therapy session. I'll send you an invoice. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Please do. (laughs) um, Charge very, very reasonable rates, Shelley. It's fine. Um, (laughs) The... So there's there's a couple of things in there. And I think the first thing, and the same when people say to me, oh, you know, because I read a lot and people say, oh, you know, how do you find time, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I've, all people feel really disengaged with business books because they're like, oh, they're all the same. They're written by these like old white dudes and uh, it's not relevant to me. And yeah, there's absolutely lots of good, bad examples of that. But the thing I always say is find something that you are interested in and it doesn't have to be something related to your work. It could be something related to fitness. It could be something related to cooking. It could be something related to learning another language. It could be something like, it could be absolutely anything, something that you are remotely interested in and follow those rabbit holes and get go down those rabbit holes. Cause I think those are the moments when you're going to start to rebuild that learning muscle. And if I had a dollar for every time that we, or that a leader has said to me in the last, probably, probably six months, oh i just wish that i could spark some more curiosity or that my team were were kind of better learners or you know whatever i we wouldn't be having this podcast cuz i would be on a beach somewhere with my <laughs> with my in my villa um and i think this this feels like a bit of a post pandemic type of phenomena around you know people were just in survival mode absolutely understandably and we have yet to, the the muscle of curiosity and the muscle of growth and things for for a lot of people, it has kind of atrophied over that time because you kind of put that in a box. You're like, okay, well, I'll do that that stuff later because I just need to get through this period of time. Completely understandable. So it's kind of getting back to that and being like, okay, we're not as much in this big stress response right now. So how do we, yeah, kind of, reignite this curiosity or this interest in learning in ourselves, in those around us, in our teams, if we're leaders, all of those types of things. And you know, a leader said to me just a few weeks ago, she said, you know, my phone is just full of, of podcast episodes I've saved and screenshots I've taken of articles and all of this. She's like, how do I kind of, how do I make my team do the same? And the first thing I said to her is, well, you can't, <laughs> you cannot make your team do anything. But what you can do is the, this, the onus is on you to, to talk to your team about that stuff to say like, Hey, what have you read this week? Or Hey, here's an article, here's a podcast just to sometimes people just need the tripwire to, to, to fall over to, that then sends them down that more self-driven path of, of learning of, of, of curiosity. But I think we, we need sometimes someone to nudge us over that tripwire.
0: Yeah. Are there, are there any specific practices you can develop to build your own curiosity? So for me, like i I love the art of asking good questions. I think asking good questions is so important for building and becoming more curious, but are there things that you're helping teams do to build their curiosity?
1: A couple of things. So one of the things is to actually just share like, hey, did you know some of this stuff is going on? And yeah, in the context of whatever session we're running. And sometimes that's the thing that makes people go, oh, wow, I didn't know about that. And then you can see that moment of going, oh, wow, I've got, a lot to learn. You kind of see them go through the kind of phases of overwhelm and excitement and fear and all the rest. But then, then, them sort of realizing, oh, okay, there's some podcasts I can listen to, or there's some videos I can watch or some YouTube channels or whatever your kind of preferred medium of, of content is. So a bit of that. So it's a bit of actually just sharing like, hey, here's five interesting things I've seen in the last couple of weeks on this particular topic. And actually, uh, yesterday in the, in this workshop I was running, one of the topics the group chose to talk about the future of or look at the future of was the future of AI. The other group the other group chose the future of work. So we had kind of go both going at the same time. And Whilst these are two things that I have an interest in, I'm certainly not a, an expert in. But there's things I spend a lot of time thinking about and reading about and listening to things about. So I was sharing. I shared loads of different. Oh yeah, and there's this example and that's that example. And one of the guys at the end of the session, he was like, "Oh, Steph, you obviously really prepared for this. And did you did you know we were going to pick that that topic?". I was like, "No, I didn't. But this is just something you. It's something I've been listening to a lot about. And he was like, "Oh, wow. And it was just this moment of him realising, "Oh, you don't have to. I, I didn't come prepared. I just came having learned some stuff and had enough to share with the group that was that was new. And whilst that wasn't the, the the I suppose, the purpose of the session, it was them kind of exploring and doing their own research too, it was a useful, I suppose, meta moment on if you learn, you can share and then you can start conversations, and then other people can learn and share and start conversations. Um, yeah, I can't remember if that answered your question. I totally. To I love <laughs> I love that idea
0: though of, I'm just thinking about, before we, we went live with this podcast recording, you were talking to me about this idea of imagination and, and how we use imagination. Now, I've just, it just got me thinking as you were saying that earlier and this idea of sparking curiosity and I guess me reflecting on where I'm at in my life and, and some of the behaviours that I think, oh, I don't like the idea of stagnating. I always love growing and I've noticed in myself, I guess talking about that fatigue and the post-pandemic fatigue and stuff, So one of the things I've noticed with my daughter, Sunny, is just her level of curiosity. It just blows my mind. And I remember reading a more beautiful question uh, by Warren Berger, amazing book on really the idea of curiosity. And he said this quote in there that time conspires against curiosity. And I feel like right now, this conversation has just triggered me to that back to that book which was I read probably a couple of years ago but it just reminded me like when I think about little kids like my daughter she would ask I don't know like 500 questions a day at least and like the types of questions Steph like she'll be like mum what does the colour purple feel like and I'm like that is a deep question and I would just be like oh my goodness or like why do some dads not have hair on their heads? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, okay, your dad, your dad is bald. Like, just yeah. <laughs> like, let's talk about that. But ha- I think I'm inspired when I see little kids and their cu- just their natural curiosity. But I also recognise that concept that Warren Berger talks about of us us losing it over time. What role do we have in I I suppose being intentional around our growth, because I feel like the natural thing is to stagnate or plateau. Like what stuff do we have to do to, to be intentional around continually growing?
1: Mm. It's, and I think with uh, intent is I think the key word there, because if you're intentional about it and sort of similar to you, like my greatest fear is, is stagnation. And just sort of plateauing and things like that, and that to me is the biggest driver in how I work, what I do, how I live, all you know, all of those sort of different things, and some things I choose to do and not to do as well. I've got a postcard. It's in my other office. Look at Me, I've got two offices. <laughs> <laughs> it's my other office. Yeah, nice. Um, which, uh, which is a Nick Cave quote, and it says, "Complacency is the great disease of our autumn years," and I just thought, I just think that. As, as soon as I saw it, I was like, I am having that postcard because it is just such a perfect way of uh, a reminder not to not to fall into that that trap of complacency and things as well. And again, of course, there will be periods of time in your life where you're like, this t- period of time is survival mode because it's a health thing, there's a global pandemic, you know, whatever it is. But I think, like you said, it's that intention and just thinking, what is the one thing I can do? Again, super simple. What is the one thing I can do? every week, every day, whatever it is that will stretch my brain, give me something new to think about. And just, I think the simplest thing, certainly for me, and again, it might be different for everyone, but podcasts, there's just a plethora of experts, experts you would never get access to in any other way because they're dead, or because they live in another country, or they're too expensive to, you know, they don't travel, you know, all of those types of things. The access we have to experts from the last 30 odd years in podcast or video form, and then even more, you know, hundreds of years if we go, you know, into, into books as well, is phenomenal. So I think the the skill is actually curation. And this is where I think a lot of learning teams are missing a trick because it, the, one of the biggest trends or topics of conversation in the learning sphere at the moment is content overload. I was talking to someone recently who works in an organization. They were telling me on their LMS, and even the word LMS makes me want to vomit a lot of the time, but in their LMS, they have two and a half million things. And after I'd got off off, off the floor, <laughs> they, you know, they said they were going through this process. And I was like, if that was me, I would just start from scratch. Like at what point is that is that useful anyway they're, they're going through that that process you know as an organization but we're not helping ourselves in organizations and this doesn't this then does not inspire people to learn or to get involved because they just think well, where do I even start you get that kind of Netflix problem where you turn it on you load it up and you spend three hours watching little trailers trying to decide what to watch it's um it's not good but you know there's obviously AI is really good or some of the potential of AI is really good in, in better curation, but another learning pathway on your LMS is not the answer to this. It is probably going to be someone showing you like, or someone telling you, Hey, do you want to watch this? Hey, I watched this. It was good. And that's where leaders, that's where peers, that's where that kind of social elements of learning is, is really important as well. And and your own intention around your own curation and then telling someone about that. I think, yeah, don't just watch something in isol- or listen to something or read something in isolation. Tell someone about it. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the
0: idea of like the book club or sharing the podcast with your community of people who will listen and go, how do I actually help other people find and learn from this particular thing rather than that learning management software system having 2 million pieces of content that's like that. In and of itself i would look at that and be like i'm out <laughs> i'm tapping out of this yeah, i do not yeah. i can't like the overwhelm and i think you're so right the content overload and overwhelm and i i guess that's for so many of us we're just bombarded with content but reading content is not learning no like consuming content is not it doesn't always translate to a learning experience when you're thinking about that idea of, okay, how do we take something like consume content, read a book? How do we actually then apply the learning?
1: I think there is, because I get asked this a lot. And I think first of all, I, would, I always challenge the idea that do we need to apply everything we learn? Maybe not. Maybe it's just, it sits there, it's in your brain and you think that was useful, interesting, entertaining, whatever thank you. I am now better off as a result, but I don't have to actually use that or implement everything. Otherwise we'd spend all our time doing, doing that and probably not doing much else. So if I, you know, I've know, i read probably 200 books in the last four years. There's no way I'm implementing all of those things. But sometimes the most useful thing is for me to recommend that book or to be like, hey, this actually might be useful for what you're working on at the moment or what you're challenged by, you know, whatever it is. So there's that. But I think the, for me, My bias is always to teach. So, my, and, you know, as a child, when growing up with my, I'm the oldest, as you can probably tell. I've got, apparently, I've got like very much old child, older child, oldest child energy. (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) And so I've got a younger sister and then a younger brother. And whenever we did play pretend and were playing as kids, I was always the teacher. That was just always my role. Uh, I was always in charge, like generally just whatever role I, had. <laughs> so I was in charge, but generally I was always the teacher. Like that was always my bias. And I was always writing, like making these little, like magazines or these things like that as well. So I was always sharing some kind of nonsense, whatever it was. And I've just kind of carried on doing that, you know, for 36 years or whatever. So the thing that uh, I think is a really good way of learning is to teach or to share in some way, shape or form. And by teacher, I don't necessarily mean you need to run a whole workshop or anything like that. It can be putting a post on LinkedIn and being like, hey, I read this book. I read this article. Look at this. Look at this podcast. Listen to this podcast. Here's the two things, three things I took away from it or I found interesting. Because number one, it makes you put it into your own context. It makes you put it into your own words. It makes you distill it in a different way. And it then maybe someone asks you a question and then you go, oh, actually, yeah, what do I think of that now having read this book? that's where you get to play with the ideas kind of pull them apart a little bit more kind of it's a bit like play-doh it sort of starts in this ball and then we get to stretch it out and take bits off and stick it to something else and that's where we get to play with our actual understanding of the ideas as well and that's when that's when that's when we're learning is when we're using the information.
0: Oh gosh I love that so much I love the idea that when you take something you've read and you go, okay, how can I apply that in my own context? You then kind of curate what you've learned, put it into your own words and share it with someone else. It's embedding that knowledge. So it just doesn't stay in the book. And I think that's the thing of if we think about that example of Warren Warren Berger's story. Like I've used his, I've referred to his book in so many of my leadership workshops because it's I think it's so powerful. But that's what's made it memorable for me. Mm. So it's like I have taken the thing and done ex- like, I guess what you're saying of how can you apply this to a leadership context? Like that's not how he's written the book. It's not for leaders per se, but there's so much application in it. And and I think that's a really practical way to learn from, let's say a book, a podcast, share it on LinkedIn, on Instagram, wherever you, wherever you hang out and then mm. show people. And I mean, at the same time, you're building your personal brand, which we always love when we talk yep. about careers, yep, right? Yep. So, I think that's such a practical thing. And I would actually love anyone who listens to this podcast, your opportunity and the call to action is share it on LinkedIn, share the takeaways from Steph, tag her in it, Mm -hmm. because you're going to actually do the thing that we're talking about right now, which I think is sparking curiosity, sparking learning and growth. So that's the call out for this
1: episode. Yeah. And from an easy, an even easier thing you can do if like doing the post on LinkedIn feels like a bridge too far, start a Slack channel or a Teams channel if you sadly have to use Teams. <laughs> um, <what are> the, <laughs> my thoughts, My thoughts, thoughts and prayers. Um, uh, start a Slack or a Teams channel in your organization for learning stuff. And it might be just with three other people, just your your immediate team or some friendly kind of people, whatever it is. Do that, and just every week, someone has everyone has to share one thing that they read or listened or word. and it could be an article, it could be a news thing, it could be just something popped up, it could be a TikTok video, an Instagram post, it could be anything, but something you thought was remotely interesting or curiosity-inducing or sent you down a rabbit hole. Do that, like that's the muscle we need to build is is exactly that, and that's something I recommend my teams uh, and the pe- you know, organizations I work with do all the time is that type of that um, type of sort of little social kind of learning circles. Learning
0: circles. I love that. Language. Yeah, we need to form that on Teams or Slack, <laughs> however <laughs> you choose. That's such a good – and that is really simple and easy. It's something you could do straight after listening to this episode. We're going to go to a quick break. And when we come back, Steph, I want to hit you with the question around what stops people from learning. And this one I want to kind of focus on, what happens if you're a learner but your boss – isn't or your teams aren't what can you do about that so bit juicy we'll take a break and we'll come back in a sec we love learning how to do all things well which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics so go and check out my millennial investor my millennial money professional my millennial property my millennial money and our spotify exclusive show my millennial daily Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, Steph, what stops people from learning? And if you're on a team where you've got people who, I suppose, live in that fixed mindset zone where they're not proactively learning and growing, what can you do
1: about it? Hmm. Oh, there's this. Where do I go? Where do I start? So I think the first one is exactly as you said earlier, that overwhelm. I've just got, you know, I've got so much on in my life, like, and my organization now want me to be a learner. And there, I saw a post, oh, I don't know, a while ago now on LinkedIn, where someone was lamenting or ranting about, calling your people in your organization learners and be like oh we've got this many learners and stuff like that and i'm just like no they're humans they're people like learners it's just a weird kind of weird, <laughs> of, weird kind of um label so let's not use that anymore because uh, also everyone's a learner and and there's this whole yeah they, they were particularly talking about the idea of how can we make people into learners so like, well, people are learners they just maybe don't want to learn what you're they're not Picking up what you're putting down, type of thing. So yeah. uh, maybe that's the problem, rather than them not being a learner, because they are probably in their own personal lives learning how to do something different, whether that's cook a different recipe, learn a language, learn how to parent, yeah, you know, whatever it is that they are, are yeah, you know, play a sport, whatever it is that they do. However, whether we're not inspiring them to want to learn whatever it is from a work perspective, which also then leads me into this idea that. Something I am quite a big fan of is much more self-owned learning budgets. So people are given an amount which they can spend on anything. And I just think if really the muscle we want to build in people is so they are learners or so that they are encouraged to learn. Surely anything they learn is then a good thing. So why do we have to be so prescriptive on it has to be these things, it can only be related to this and blah, 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 blah. Uh, and i think that's that's quite narrow and just this week medibank have started um providing their people with financial kind of well-being type sessions that they can they can access uh, and one of the comments that you know put on that post when i think it was you and black from the AFR who posted that was I feel like we're going down a path or there's a potential future out there where your work becomes actually where as an adult you learn. It almost becomes your life university and organizations are expected to give people access to learning on on financial well-being, on parenting, on you know, what, all these other things. Mental health, you know, which already that does happen in, in pockets already. But actually, that is where people are expected to have all of their kind of learning needs met whatever uh, whatever the topic is, and particularly on these kind of more life skills which are for whatever reason not taught in schools or universities and things so yes, so I think there's there's a couple of things there around how we define learning, what we actually what do we even mean by learners making people into learners because it's probably not it's probably you not them I think is is possibly the the challenge. And then if you, if you're, um, if you're in an organization and either your bosses doesn't feel like they're particularly engaged in, in sort of learning new things, I'd probably just ask the question around like, Hey, what are you into at the moment? And when I ran a, a little while ago, I ran a session and one of the, I suppose hypothesis or one of the challenges that the leader had had suggested is that you know the people aren't aren't, aren't learners or whatever. And when I asked the group and got everyone to share something that they've learned recently or what they what are they into at the moment, we filled the board with stuff that people had watched or read or listened to or had found interesting or yeah or were doing or ho- hobbies and stuff like that. The whiteboard was absolutely full of really interesting, cool stuff that pretty much no one knew that anyone else was doing. And it was just that realisation that no one's actually asked the question of like, hey, what are you into at the moment? And that's where we find out what people are learning. And that's where we start to find those really cool lateral ideas of, oh, actually, that thing you're doing in your dance class is really relevant to how we're managing this stakeholder. (laughs) You know, whatever it is, you start to find those really cool lateral lessons that you don't have to go to a course to find. It's just about having a different conversation about the stuff that people are into at the moment. And you know, one example from that that same session, one of the one of the people in that group was like, Oh, I'm reading Prince Harry's biography and it's really embarrassing. And I don't I'm not really telling anyone anyone about it because it's so cringe, blah, blah, blah. But then she sort of went on to say that she was like, Oh, but it has really made me realize about the impact of the media and all of these types of things and the stories they can spin and what impact that has on like, you know, and actually for that organization, there's they're quite public-facing, and there's, they get a lot of sort of public scrutiny. So, you know, she was like, "Oh, it's really making me think about this." And we had this really interesting conversation about that, but because she was so embarrassed, because it was so kind of trashy you know, to read the read uh, read spare that she they hadn't even had that conversation.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I love the idea of we're all learning one way or another, and often I think that concept of just hearing you say, "Well, what are you interested in? What are you into?" Like what are you into? And I'm kind of thinking at the, one, for me dealing with overwhelm or content overwhelm and the, the volume of like business books out there and I love reading nonfiction. I love reading fiction way more. Like I read a mm. crap ton of terrible fantasy and romance. Like, that's an aside, but just want to. I just feel like I can confess that to you because there's psychological safety
1: here. Um, (laughs) That's your other other podcast, though. Yeah. uh,
0: Bad (laughs) fantasy and bad romance novels that not. Anyway, so one of the things that I've found to deal with it is I've, I've just said, I'm going to focus on this thing that I'm obsessed with, which for me has been. In my work and in my consulting business, has been like, how do you help leaders have difficult conversations? So, that's been something I've really, I'm really obsessed with. I I love that because it's a challenge that I feel like most businesses face. And I want to learn about it because I find it really interesting. So, I just read stuff on that and don't try to feel like I have to read everything. But I think it's almost like niching down (laughs) like, how do you niche your learning right down to a thing? build that knowledge set in a particular area and then go, okay, cool. Well, when you get over that or you get bored with it, move on find a different little niche that you can be obsessed with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's really what it seems like we want from people, but we get really distracted by how many people attended this thing or what is the, you know, this learning path that we've set up on the system and all of this kind of nonsense, when actually what we want people to do is learn, have fun, tell people about it, be somewhat engaged in in what that is, and and yeah, there will obviously that you know there is a big conversation at the moment around AI and what that means for reskilling people. You know what what uh, what roles and job types are going to be really disrupted by it. But we've got a long history of of technology disrupting. Whole industries or organisations, yeah, you know, whatever, whatever it is, we kind of muddle through. <laughs> and yes, can we be more intentional about it? Can organisations be more intentional about it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a KPMG report from January this year that the the digital skills gap and digital upskilling was the biggest challenge on senior leaders' minds for 2023. And yet. We are still having conversations about how many people attended this course and what's the you know what how many people can we tick off that type of thing, which feels like uh, a bit of a a bit of a shame because mm. if we if we think about these really big strategic challenges, we're not going to meet that with that same thinking.
0: no, you're 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 so right there around. Like, oh, we need people to get digital skills. We need people to develop their digital skills. I'm going to get them to do an online course that's boring as all hell. They have to sit through, tick it off, sign it off after the end of one hour and, hey, you've done your job and we've done ours. And I think that's, <laughs> that's why I think sometimes well, how do we create learning experiences that are bite-sized? I mean, I love what you do with your podcast. We're going to get to that in a sec. Because you're giving, and i've I've listened to so I've been to listen to so many of your podcast episodes because I was like, you've done the deep work and the learning. <laughs> I'm going to take it, yep. and I'm going to yep. get a crash course in this particular business book or whatever it is that that you you're talking about that particular day. And I think, oh, like that is more my style of learning, so it aligns with me. So I think like getting out of those online like the course and, and just on the course stuff because I know you mentioned this a couple of times you've said this word of like organisations defaulting to let's do a course for people, let's put something on the learning management system or whatever. One of my big things in HR has been that whole idea of the 70 10 model of learning of like most of your learning is on the job. Is that something that you subscribe to, that whole concept of like 70 or how do you feel about that?
1: It's one of those things that I – the, the the idea, absolutely. Yes, learning should be a blend of different things. And yes, there should be there absolutely is a role for clearly a heavy role for the, the experience on the job and the coaching and mentoring and stuff that happens then. Uh, and then a bit of formal stuff and a bit of informal kind of stuff uh, alongside. Yeah. At, yes, absolutely. I think where we sometimes that gets like like all of these types of things get sort of weaponized and used in a really unhelpful way because people try and be like oh well is it is it exactly 70 you know that type of thing like no, we're kind of missing the point like the idea is the idea type <laughs> um type of thing and I think the there will be some things that are more useful in one of those three you know the 70 the 20 or the 10 than than others so maybe something that's slightly more behavioral yeah the on the job stuff is really useful and we need even more of it because they need that kind of constant feedback and those little tweaks, those little tweaks, those little tweaks. Whereas if you're learning a whole new skill from scratch, you're learning to code or something like that, then maybe it needs to be heavier on the kind of formal learning and going off and doing a general assembly course for 12 weeks or whatever it is, because you need the, the practice and the, the supervision and things like that, because maybe on the job you can't get that because that's not what your team your manager does or they've got different skills to you all of those types of things so again it's so context specific so yes overall the idea is fine but I think it's it, we need to just sort of get below the surface a little bit more usually around okay but what is the context of this person this organization this skill they need to build how they need to apply it yeah you know, all of those different things
0: yeah and and Based on the complexity of that skill, what's the best approach to them? Mm. What's the best learning experience that they can have? So like think about that's such a good example about software developers going doing a 12-week course, build that muscle as opposed to, you know, just purely – and I think one of the risks with the 70-20-10 model, if anyone's not familiar, 70% of learning happens on the job, 20% happens by coaching, mentoring, uh, and then 10% is in course kind of Mm. classroom-style learning. So I think you're right, like it can get weaponized because it can almost be an excuse for organizations
1: to not invest yeah. in formal learning when that's what's needed. I think the other I think it's almost the other way around though, a lot of the time is that they the that's very easy for them to be like, oh, let's just build another course, do another course, and do another half day workshop, whatever it is. And again, time and a place, and that's all very useful. But if that's not being embedded, if that's not being encouraged, if your managers are then undermining the stuff you have just learned because that organ you know the the course or the workshop or whatever doesn't actually fit with the the day to day or the culture you know what it, whatever it is then then of course it's going to fall down there is actually no point doing the course <laughs> but it's easier to do that than to upskill your managers or your leaders to actually be able to, to be able to coach well or to be able to have meaningful conversations about career development yeah all of those different things so i think it's more that the 10% becomes Ninety percent, and uh, is it, and it's absolute, and it's just a cop out at that stage. Yes, and it will never, it almost will never work.
0: Yeah, you're so right. And the default, it, well, that's e- it's easier to do that than to give people kind of those experiences where they learn by doing a stretch project that's really challenging, yeah, and or even- do a
1: secondment, or do some shadowing, or you yeah, know switch roles or stuff like that's the stuff we should be thinking about. Is those more systemic, more interesting, and frankly cheaper and probably way more effective <laughs> approaches but that take that little bit more energy and take that little bit more intent and are a little bit more, I suppose, a bit more abstract in some ways, because there isn't a defined kind of, it starts here and it ends here. It's it's much more fluid and it's a bit more uh, context specific. So we don't do that because that would involve changing the system rather than just doing the thing that we've done a hundred times before.
0: Yeah. And we're seeing so much at the moment, so much talk around this idea of how do we with the disruption of AI and changing the whole jobs landscape how do we have more mobile workforces where we can move people from job to job have more of those like you've got all these skills how do we know what your skills are how do we move you completely from this space to this space to this space regularly and that is a huge challenge for organisations, but it's a huge challenge for employees as well with that disruption. But I do think that's part of where we will head in the future. And so we have to have that learning mindset in order to do that.
1: Mm. And the organisational courage, I think, really to to challenge the systems, the structures, the processes as well, even if it doesn't neatly fit into these boxes and it means this person's, this this or this department then ends up half an FTE over because we've done this a comment, like if that's the stuff that's getting in the way, that's the stuff that's getting in the way, not someone being a learner or not.
0: yeah, like it doesn't fit in their job description, or we have to look at their remun- we have to review the remuneration level, and like all yeah. the organizational frameworks are set up for very um, structured ways of working, but this this approach with AI, and this is a whole other conversation, mm. so we won't go down the rabbit hole, but yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing that we'll be moving into. And something that I I'm kind of excited about though, the idea of people not having to have these rigid job descriptions and, and ways of working. Let's change tact a bit. Change tact? I think it's change tack, isn't it? It's like a ship attack. Oh. Is it I Change it was tact, but I don't know. I, I feel like I've had this conversation in the past. Okay, if anyone wants to message me afterwards. Oh, it's change tact?
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, did you Google it? You're right. Yeah, I Googled it, yeah. Is it a It does refer refer to the direction of a boat with respect to its sales (laughs) position.
0: (laughs) Okay. There we go. Always
1: learning. Always learning.
0: And the quick (laughs) Google. That's all. Yeah, so change tack. Um, I want to know your top three rapid fire business books. Now, everyone, you need to check out Steph's podcast, Steph's Business Bookshelf, because... Seriously, it's so good. Like I think I messaged you, Steph, like in the like, early days when we first kind of connected, mm. like uh, 50 questions about all these books. Yeah. <laughs> like I bombarded <laughs> you around, what's yeah, this yeah. book recommendation that you have and what's this because I was in this zone yeah. of doing all these creative projects. Okay. What are, is this, this is going to be hard for you. I feel that this is a difficult decision. It's hard, decision. but
1: it's so, yeah. And I feel like this is one of those ones I could get asked this question. If I got asked this question every week for the next 10 years, I'd ask, I'd answer it it's differently. A, differently. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you the question.
0: What are your top three favorite business books that our listeners should read?
1: Yep. 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 So the first one would be The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. That is one of my all-time favorites because, Priya is a facilitator, a a mediator and someone who works a lot with with groups and and group dynamics and fundamentally someone who creates amazing gatherings. And the book is all about how gathering well is just a, a critical skill and something that we don't put enough intent. We've talked a lot about intent in this episode. We don't put enough intent and intentional design into. And that's relevant whether you're organizing an offsite for a team, a wedding, a funeral, all of these different things. And during COVID, she had this great podcast with the New York Times called Together Apart. I think it's only about maybe, maybe 10 episodes. It's it's super short. And it was all about people who had suddenly had to change their big gathering thing that they were doing. There was graduations, weddings, all sorts of things into a virtual format And the questions she asks are just fantastic. And she's got a wonderful style. I really, really like her as a a speaker and thinker and things as well. And obviously a writer as well. So she talks about that. And so the book is the the fundamentals of how we gather well together. And just simple things like if it's a work context is doing your big forward thinking workshop or offsite in your old mahogany boarded (laughs) boardroom is that really, is that really the best place to be having the type of future thinking that you want to have? So yeah, just stuff like that. Really cool. Very practical as well. And just really beautifully written.
0: Amazing. I have, I have got that on my list because I do believe you referred me to that. What's number two?
1: Number two, I think is just is one that I think is just very relevant at the moment, which is Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. It's not strictly a business book, but it's super relevant. It's all around distraction and how the systems of things like social media and big tech are not set up for us to win in terms of our, our war on our attention. And it's definitely one that will have you rethinking your relationship with your devices and technology and the things we do. And the, the thing I like about it, unlike other books where it's other books, you know, like Indistractable by Nier, are all about, you know, the sort of personal responsibility part. This touches on that. It doesn't ignore that there is an element of personal responsibility, but it talks more about the systemic part and how we, we are not set up to win. Like I said, in, in these, in the way that that tech is designed. So yes, we can do so much. However, we actually need to be thinking about it completely differently.
0: Yeah, and again, this is really funny because I'm about three quarters of the way through because of mm. your recommendation on your podcast and on your Instagram about this book. So absolutely it's been confront- – it's quite a confronting read.
1: Mm, mm, mm. Like
0: a, I found it like – and, and you, I guess you get that sense of like, oh, there is a big problem here. And we haven't talked about the link between learning and attention, but that is no, so yeah. massive. So yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And everyone needs to get onto your podcast. So we're going to make sure that those links are all included. And number three, tell us what's the third one.
1: Three would be, oh, it's quite torn on this one, but the book that has absolutely changed my kind of professional direction over the last 15 months or so has, was Imaginable by Jane McGonigal. And it is a book all about futures and futures thinking and some of the tools and techniques, but it is also just a book that is an incredible, brain breaking book around potential futures that's not just work related in fact very few that are work related but that we will affect the way we live and work and exist and relate to each other over the next 10 years so yeah if you are thinking about what's next and you feel like you've had a bit of a shock from the the last black swan event that we had with the pandemic and you want to think about what's next that this book is absolutely essential reading
0: so unimaginable. Imaginable. Oh, sorry. Imaginable. I did write it down, but I read unimaginable. <laughs> Maybe that's me subconsciously being like, I can't even Freudian. imagine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I'm like, I can't even imagine the future. I'm
1: like, I'm barely coping. <laughs> yeah. You're like, the present is enough. Thank you. Just one one plane of time, please.
0: Just hour by hour, please. Yeah. Let's just focus on the next hour. <laughs> Gosh, sorry. Okay. Okay. Amazing. So we will put the link to Steph's business bookshelf, her podcast, which is amazing in the show notes. And also Steph, as a facilitator and a learning and development practitioner, an absolute bloody pro (laughs) who has your work everywhere. It's everywhere. It's all over LinkedIn. All the articles that you are featured in are amazing. How do people connect with you?
1: LinkedIn is where I like to hang out. So LinkedIn, so Steph Clark, it's pretty simple. Clark with an E on the end, Steph with a PH. Spell it with an F. Please don't send me a connection request. I had it on something recently and it just like, just every part of my body just rejects (laughs) the the spelling with it.
0: I hate when people spell your name wrong too. I'm like, it's right there. You can see it on my, it's right there. (laughs)
1: Yes, it's, there it is. (laughs) Yeah, so Steph Clark um, with, yeah, Steph with a PH, Clark with an E uh, on LinkedIn. And then Steph's Business Bookshelf, as Shel has mentioned on, which is on all your podcast devices. Uh, And then 28 Thursdays is my business name. So you can find that just by, on the Google machine.
0: On the Google machine, I love that. And if you are a team leader and you're looking for some learning and development stuff, Mm -hmm. hit Steph up, 28 Thursdays, LinkedIn, do the things, make it happen. Steph, (laughs) you're bloody brilliant. Love having this conversation. Thank you so much. And I know that I'm just going to hassle you with more... What should yeah. I read next?
1: <laughs> it's fine. That's what I'm here for. I've kind of, I've, I've made, I've created that role for myself for a lot of people, yeah. I think. I so.
0: rod for your own back, I'm sure.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> awesome. Hey, well, thanks so much for hanging out. And hey, as always, if you enjoy the show, give us a five-star rating wherever you listen. Thanks heaps for hanging out.
1: We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast.
0: We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money and our Spotify exclusive show, My Millennial Daily.